We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 81. Our guest today is half English, half American, U25 superstar in the show Jumping Ring. She was also part of the 2019 London Knights team in the Global Champions League, which was ranked first. So she is here today to talk all about her career and her involvement of Poden Farms with Ben Mayer and Cameron Hanley. So without further ado, let's hear it from our guest, Emily Moffat. So you are in England right now, correct? Yes. So thanks for taking the time, especially with the wild time change. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about how you first got into the equestrian world, what that kind of looked like for you. There's kind of like a bunch of little different stories, but basically I had always had animals around. I was always an animal lover from the beginning and I started with Western lessons and then I kind of just dabbled a little bit. It wasn't anything that I was super interested in. And then my grandpa, my dad's dad, was really into horses, like hardcore. And he's really who got me super into it. And we would go to like the little local shows and I had to work a whole summer in order to get a pony. And nice. it kind of just escalated from there. And I, And then even still, I wasn't super like this is what I want to do for my living sort of thing. I was just like, okay, this is fun. I like my pony. I like to jump. All right. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Really how it started. Cool. And at the time, where were you living? So I was living in Las Vegas, but we would come to England for the summers because my dad is English and my mom's American. Okay, cool. And when did your dad come to America? That's a tough one. Quite a while ago, not like, you know, 30 years, but yeah, a fair amount of time. He went over for work opportunities and he just took a leap, had a feeling he would be able to be super successful there. And he just went for it and never really looked back. That's so cool. Yeah. My father-in-law is English and he came to the States when he was 20. So cool. yeah, kind of similar story, but we hop over to England every couple of years because all of his family, all of our extended family are over there. So kind of cool. Yeah. Awesome. So you were continuing to ride. You were doing the ponies. You like it and it's fun and something that you and your grandpa kind of have the love for the sport. At what point were you starting to get a little bit more serious about it? So I had only had my one pony and then I did horses right off the start, which is a little unusual, I guess. I've, you know, I just went right into the deep end. I was like, all right, cool. (laughs) Um, And I was in Chantilly, the GCT. I can't remember the exact year, but I want to say it was like seven or eight years ago, something like that, maybe seven. And I watched the, I was jumping the 120s and I was watching the Grand Prix and I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is what I want to do. I Mm -hmm. want to jump that Grand Prix. And so I told my dad and my dad is very 
all, like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And we just started everything, got the horses, built the facilities, did everything we could. And here I am, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So cool. What was the process like when you you know decided you wanted to be all in? What was that like for you as far as deciding what type of, of horses would be a good fit? What about uh, like training your whole program? How did you work to get that set up? It was a big learning experience for me and for my family. We had no horsey background, yeah. no knowledge of it. So we really had to rely on others to help us. And so I think we just learned from trial and error. And, you know, my, my dad is very forgiving. So when we did make a mistake or realized that maybe we didn't make the best choice, it was like, all right, lesson learned, let's Mm -hmm. move on to the next. And then now we have a really good thing set up, you know, Poden Farms, my dad really has created that himself, which I think is pretty amazing considering he has no background of it whatsoever. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was really just a a learning experience. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the high points that kind of stick out in your head as far as horse shows or experiences that kind of made you the rider you are today? That's a tough one. I, I have a lot of really great memories, but one that I think I will always you know, when you have a memory and whenever you think about it, you just smile. You yeah. can't help but smile. That would be Dublin for me last year. Mm. It was my first five-star Nations Cup. And I hadn't had my horse for very long. And we had to, you know, be in the top. I can't remember what it was. It was like top three or something crazy mm-hmm. in order to qualify for Barcelona. It was our last chance. It was like, I was with Scott, Holly, Ben. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. This is going to be fun. And I walked the course and I was like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to be double clear. And the first round when I crossed the timers, I was like, holy moly. I just did that. (laughs) I was like, all right, one down, come on. one more." And I could hear cantering down the last line. They're like, okay, if she goes clear, she wins the whole thing for the team. I was like, Oh, please win each jump the last jump and each jump the last jump. And like, I had tears of happiness. (sighs) It was so cool. Wow. It's definitely something for me that I will always remember. Totally. Yeah. I literally, I just got goosebumps with you just telling that. So I can't imagine how you must feel. (laughs) So cool. Tell me a little bit, like, let's get into the nitty gritty of you said that you were, you know, doing like meter 20, you were starting to get more serious, but you were wanting to take that next step and, and do some of these bigger Grand Prix. Tell me a little bit about the mental, physical, emotional adjustment that took, or did you feel like jumping from a meter 20 to a meter 50 wasn't a big difference? How, how was that transition for you? I think I, I'm lucky to have the sort of personality where I really thrive under pressure. Mm -hmm. And I always say like, I'm so, so lucky to have that because it's such a hard thing to teach yourself. So I think that really helped me, but also, I mean, you kind of just have to be like, all right, we're going to do it. This Mm -hmm. is going to be super nerve wracking and it might not go to plan, but we've got to do it. Yeah. And that's just how I approached it every time. You know, I'll give you an example. When I had my best horse, I still have him actually. He'll figure Van de Olenhove. Hmm. We call him Tommy. It was our first GCL round in Estoril. 
And Ben, I didn't know at the time, but Ben was like, man, I'm really nervous. I don't know. Like, I think she's ready, but it's just so hard to tell with these things. And he was like jumping every jump with me and I went double clear. But again, like neither of us really knew Mm. if I was ready, but I don't think you really ever do. Yeah. So I think it's just when you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for this and you have a, a good frame of mind, I think you just got to take the leap and figure it out as you go. Cause there's no real, you know, book on how to mm-hmm. rhyme is there. You kind of have to figure it out for yourself a little bit. Yeah. It's like you, you can only prepare so much. And then at some point you kind of just have to rip the bandaid and, yeah. and go for it. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the horses that you're currently riding a little bit about how you found them, kind of what their personality is like, what, what it's like to prep them for a show. So I have like, I want to say 18 horses right now. Obviously I can't ride them all. So I have Ben Mayer, Cameron Hanley, couple other people helping me. My main horses right now would be Carlson and Winnie. And then I have, you know, Tommy, Tipsy, but Carlson and Winnie are who I'm really, really focusing on right now because I think that they're my shot for the Olympics. Cool. Fingers crossed if yeah. everything goes well. Yeah. Carlson is really something special. Wow. <laughs> he is hilarious. He sometimes decides he doesn't want to go in a stable. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to get groomed. He's like, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't feel like working today. It's yeah. not for me. And you're like, Carlson, come on. <laughs> such a funny character. And it's taken me probably a year for him to be on my side mm-hmm. and like really want to do the job for me. And then I have Winning Good, who's like my little special man. I've done everything with him. And he's the one I was riding in Dublin. Cool. And he's just a love bug like so sweet, just wants to cuddle. He's extremely difficult in the ring. I don't know if you've seen videos. He's yeah. super strong, like l- loves to jump. He sees a jump and he's like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so for, for those two, I, I prepare them so differently. Like Winnie, mm-hmm. I'll just focus on his manners before and after the jump and do some gymnastics and do some pole work and just try and get the control as much Mm -hmm. as possible and get him super relaxed. Carlson, it's really just a matter of making sure he's listening and respecting what you ask for. Otherwise he likes to take over and do some, you know, interesting things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it really all varies from horse to horse. Yeah. How long have you had those two? Winnie, I want to say I've had for two years, maybe a little more. We've had, actually, we've had Winnie since he was eight. Cool. But Ben was riding him. Nice. First. And Carlson, I think we've had for two and a half years, maybe three. I lose track of time, but it would be somewhere around there. And the same, Ben rode him a little bit, then I rode him, then Ben switched back. And, you know, we have a little bit of that system where if I can't ride them all, they obviously have to get out at some point. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It takes, it takes a team for sure. It definitely does. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you started working with Ben and Scott and, and what that kind of looked like when, when you guys first, you know, started working together. So I, I actually, I have Ben and Cameron. Okay. And yeah. Ben, no worries. Ben, I don't know. I think it was his competitiveness that drew me to him. Cool. 
I have a super, super competitive personality and (laughs) I'll be the first to say that that doesn't always work with everybody else's personality. So for me, that was important that someone understood like the fire I had and how angry I am when I don't do well. So that, that was what made me choose Ben and Cameron was actually Kean O'Connor helped us with him. Mm. And I'd never really met him or talked to him, but he, right away, he's such a nice person. You can tell, you know, when you just meet someone, you can tell. Yeah. And he's so great with the horses and so helpful. And Ben is very talented in the ring and just like knows how to get it done and has taught me a lot about that. Whereas Cameron's really focused on poles and groundwork and basics and how all that can evolve your partnership with your horse and your riding. So what one doesn't have, the other does. Yeah. So they really, we've really got a good team and it's taken years to, to get here. You know, I'm sure you've heard it many times, how long Mm -hmm. it takes to get a good team behind you. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's a a giant puzzle. And it's like, when you have, when you have the the team members, then maybe the horses need some tweaking and then the grooms and staff totally is just this kind of intricate dance to, for everything to line up perfectly, which way of putting it. Yeah. I think that you definitely are for sure on the right track and it, it shows with your success and your aspirations. And it's, it's very exciting to watch hold that thought, I wanted to take a minute to talk about our podcast sponsor. The Tried Equestrian is the ultimate online consignment destination for the modern rider, bringing you tack, apparel, footwear, and accessories at seriously unbeatable prices. Their selection of both brand new and lightly used items are updated daily and features all of your favorite brands such as Tailored Sportsman, Parlanti, CWD, Oglavy, Cavalleria Toscana, and so many more, and they're up to 80% off the retail prices. You can shop or you can sell yourself and request a free consignment kit at triedequestrian.com. You can also use code PODCAST15 for 15% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Tried Equestrian. Let's head back to the episode. What would you say, like, if you had like a normal week, let's say you're just in Wellington showing, you have all your horses, is that, is that normal for you? Would you bring all your horses down for the winter? Yes. So we, this year we did, well, was it this year? Yes, it was this year. (laughs) Everything is just mixing into one these days. (laughs) Um, So we left behind a few of the young ones and one of my older stallions just because he has like a little bit of lung issues. So we didn't want to bring him mm-hmm. into Florida with the heat, Yeah, but yeah. normally we do bring them all. And, you know, ho- we're hoping to bring them all at the end of this year, if everything pans out well. Right. So really we just, if there are like super, super young ones, we'll leave them behind just because it's a lot of costs to fly them there just to do young horse classes. Yeah. yeah. But normally we would bring the whole team. Okay. And then let's say you are showing a pretty good string of your horses. What would that look like for, for you and for Ben and for Cameron that week as you're preparing and showing? So if there were like anything, say I had a double down the previous week, Mm -hmm. Ben would, 
explain to me what I did wrong and how I could fix it. And we would really work on it. And it's never really the horse, like, Oh, the horse did it. It was like, yeah, this is what you can do to make that better or make sure it doesn't happen again. And so we would probably work on that like a Tuesday, you know, before they head to the show Mm -hmm. and then they all head there and we ride them in FEI. We ride every single one before they show always. Yeah. And then it really just depends on if Cameron's there or if Ben's say Ben's riding one at the same time as me, Mm -hmm. Cameron will help. Or if Cameron's riding the same time, that's sort of why we had had to get two because Ben and I, when we started competing at the same level, it was just really hard and also stressful for him to try and and do both, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's pretty much what it would look like. And then obviously I'd have to go on my little dirt bike, zoom back home, ride some of the ones at home, zoom back, jump one. I'm sure you know what that's like. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially with, with that many horses, but I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those situations that if you are wanting to do well and be at the top level, you have to have that type of lineup because you never know, especially if you're producing them starting young, like you, you don't know what they're going to turn into when you're first trying them as seven, eight year olds. Yes. Do you have any trials or experiences that stick out in your head from when you were either trying your top two or your others that you compete on consistently? What does that process look like for you? Do you have Cameron and Ben handle finding the the new young horses or are you involved in that heavily? It varies from horse to horse, really. I'm not a huge fan of trials. You know, we're expected to tell you if we like a horse or not based off of like 30 minutes. Yeah. I just don't really see it's how so it's tough. Good. And truthfully, this sounds crazy, but truthfully, 90% of the horses I have tried and liked end up being horses that I cannot ride or like take forever to get to know. Mm-hmm. It's the ones where I don't try that I get on with like no expectations. All right. Like, okay, come on, let's go. Yeah. That I end up clicking with right away. I have no clue why that is, but it just <laughs> seems to be what happens. So yeah. Winnie, I didn't try him, Ben did and, you know, loved him. And Ben knows what mm-hmm. I like now, especially, you know, it's taken a little bit to figure it out for all of us, but He's pretty good about that. And Carlson, I did try again, amazing trial, like the best trial I've ever had, but it has taken me a year, probably even more to figure out how to ride him. Yeah. And sometimes it it crashes and burns and you realize it's not a good fit. And then sometimes all that hard work was worth it. And obviously in this case, it it was worth it. But yeah, it's such a tough thing that I feel like a lot of people struggle with. Just like you said, like, how are you supposed to know and make such a big investment on an animal that you only are with for, you know, less than an hour? It's crazy. Yeah. How are you preparing both for yourself and your horses kind of for this next year with showing and and competition? I have made like 30 different plans and they have all gone wrong, like within the first week of me trying it out. (laughs) So now I just, I have plan A, B, C, you know, up to practically Z. Yeah. And I just... I'm taking it week by week and I'm trying to set goals for myself and work backwards from there. And, you know, obviously we're having to all change around and figure it out as we go, but I think that's all we can really do right now. So 
Absolutely. How are you keeping your horses fit or how are you finding that balance of being able to like get up and show at any given week while also giving them a little bit of a breather during this downtime? I have an indoor outdoor grass ring and a track. Uh So, which I'm super lucky that my dad did for me because it makes my life a heck of a lot easier to do. Just asked me about So like what I'm going to do on Tuesday, just for an example, I'm taking Winnie to the three-star in Centaur. So what I'm going to do is set up a warm-up in my indoor and a course in the outdoor, just to kind of like give him that feel of a show again and say like, Hey, come on, we're gearing up again. My horses are incredible. I'm super lucky to have such talented horses. And I just don't find that they need to jump all the time to stay Mm -hmm. fit. I'll do like some gymnastics or a certain exercise I think they could work on maybe once a week just to keep their legs moving, you know? Totally. And otherwise I've been really focusing on like gallop work on the track and getting them as fit as they can be on that side of things. Because mm-hmm. normally we never get the chance to do that. Right. Yeah. It's really a very kind of unique opportunity to mm-hmm. give them a little bit of downtime, but then working on their endurance and fitness while kind of saving their jumps. Exactly. Yeah. That's so cool. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk enough about? So I'm a big believer in finding alternative ways in solving a problem that you may be having with a horse or connecting with one that you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer in treating a horse like a horse and not like a machine. Yeah. And I think that people get really caught up in the fact that they are machines and we have to have them a certain way and they have to be ready week in and week out. And Mm -hmm. I just like, yes, they are top athletes and yes, we need to keep them fit. But at the end of the day, they're just animals and they don't know what we know. I'll give you an example. I don't know if you saw, but Horse and Hound wrote an article about my mare Kalinka. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been struggling with her in the way that I just found like I was missing something about her, that I wasn't getting the full picture and that I could be doing something different to better her. And so the animal communicator, Joanna, helped me and Mm -hmm. she's been like a different horse since. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that's going to solve every single problem that everybody has, But I just think people need to think about different approaches to figuring these things out, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not like there are people that we can just walk up to and be like, hey, we're going to jump this. You need to do this to get to this part, blah, blah, blah. You know, they have have no clue. They're like, all right, we're walking to the arena. All right, cool. Mm -hmm. Do some jumps. So I think that's that's a big thing that maybe people don't always think about. And I also think... People are really quick to want to get rid of a horse if it's not working out, which Mm -hmm. I'm the first to put my hand in the air and say like, yes, it is definitely the easier option to do that. Right. But it's so much more rewarding when you can figure it out and get somewhere and be like, okay, I, I got this. I figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that a lot of the time it is 
you know, your fault versus your, the horse's fault, which is so true. And I feel like the minute us as riders can understand that, like put ourselves in our horse's shoes and, you know, understand that they're just, they're trying to do the best they can based on, you know, the context clues and what we're trying to communicate to them. And a lot of times it is us either getting in the way of our horses or not communicating yes. properly that makes the, the little mistake here and there. So I think that that is also really trying to like take a step back and see the full picture of each animal individually. And and you especially have to practice that with, you know, all your different horses with different personalities and different needs and tendencies and finding ways to adjust and, and not only with your mindset, but you really kind of have to adapt to your horses and how you ride them. It's not like, okay, this is how I ride for every horse, no matter what. It's just, it's gotta be different. And that was one of the hardest things for me to learn too, was to be able to sit on Winnie who is super hot and gets, you know, anxious to jump and then get off and sit on Carlson. Who's like Germanized Christian almond, you know, yeah, that was a really hard thing for me to learn. And it still is like, I have to really consciously think, okay, he likes this. He doesn't like this. I need to do this. All right. I'm in the, you know, mindset that I need to be for this particular horse. Yeah. Yeah. And then tell me a little bit about your mare that you were having issues with. I mean, how was the process of having the animal communicator? Were you like skeptical at first? What was that like for you? I mean, I feel like we would all be lying if we said we weren't skeptical a little bit to some extent, you know, but I always have a super open mind towards those things. Mm -hmm. I just kind of thought like, it's not going to do any bad. And if he can, you know, even get 1% better, that's still something. Yeah. And I really felt like it was something in Kalinka's head that was stopping her from getting to her full potential. And so I just thought, okay, well, if I'm ever going to figure this out, this would be the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought, what the heck? Why not? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And what did, what did she have to say? Just like how she wants things to be done. She mm-hmm. said that she really wants to be a horse sometimes, that that's important to her. Yeah. And that she wants to be asked and not told. Hmm. And that she enjoys the sport, but sometimes feel like her mind gets in the way. And, wow. you know, I didn't share any real details with Joanna or anything. Yeah. Just And she said that she really wants a one-on-one relationship with her person. And that's Mm. important for her. And she mentioned that she wants to work on dressage because she struggles to understand what we ask her sometimes. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And so Cameron has been riding her just to get her jumping a little bigger before I sit on her while I have others. And I forwarded on Joanna's notes to Cameron and he's, you know, read them and thought about it and tweaked a few things in the way that he rides her. And she was double clear in every class she jumped and, you know, was top 10 in the meter 45 Grand Prix, which was tough. Yeah. So 
I mean, it's no coincidence, is it? No. Yeah. It seems like it's like you were saying, it'd be like a lie if people weren't, if people said they weren't skeptical about it, but it's almost like you just have to experience it for yourself and see that it, like how it works in your situation for something like that. And I think you get to the point where you're so invested in the partnership of your animals that is like, honestly, at this point, whatever works, I'm fine with. (laughs) I'm all for trying new things. Absolutely. That's really cool. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Your story is so cool. And I am so excited to follow you along this next year and hopefully for some pretty big events in 2021. Hopefully fingers crossed. Awesome. Well, have a good one. Thank you so much. No problem. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.